Hello, and welcome to the Platform Podcast, part of the Marketplace Risk Master's Program. The Master's Program offers a full suite of virtual content, engagement, and resources focused on risk management, trust and safety, and legal strategy for startups. Be sure to download the mobile app from the Master's Program on the Marketplace Risk website to connect with hundreds of participants, speakers, and sponsors directly. The Master's Program is presented by Aon, Checker, PackSafe, and we want to thank them and all of our sponsors, including Appers Insights, King & Spaulding, Seiferth Shaw, Sitter City, Spectrum Labs, Tint AI, and Willis Towers Watson. Check out the Master's Program Sponsor Center on the Marketplace Risk website for more information about our sponsors to view content they have contributed and to contact them directly. Thank you for tuning into the Platform Podcast, hosted by Marketplace Risk's L. Tucker, a former journalist who writes, speaks, and consults on the sharing and gig economy. L. is also the chair of the Marketplace Risk Advisory Board. Please note, this podcast has been prepared for informational purposes and is not legal advice by the Marketplace Risk team or the presenters. The material discussed should not be construed as legal advice or a legal opinion on any specific issue. We urge you to consult a lawyer concerning your own situation and any specific legal questions you may have. Please contact us at info@marketplacerisk.com, and we can put you in touch with the appropriate professional. And now, without further ado, I will hand things over to Elle. Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of the Platform Podcast from Marketplace Risk. Today, we have Matthias Riolfi, who is co-founder and CEO of Tint. Hi, Matthias. Hi, Elle. Welcome to the Platform Podcast. So tell me a bit about Tint. It's very intriguing and I've been looking at your website, but I would love to hear your um, your explanation of what you do because it sounds fascinating. Uh, yes, first, uh, thank you for uh, having me. Uh, it's a pleasure speaking uh, with you guys. Uh, so basically, Tint helps uh, companies design, launch and optimize uh, insurance products. Uh, we believe that marketplaces uh, and, and other companies have a unique opportunity to sell insurance to their users and to uh, improve their customer experiences while doing so. And we provide uh, an AI-powered platform that, that really helps them do this. We, we basically do two things. We have a, an underwriting engine that, that helps those marketplaces use their data uh, to transform and then into insurance products. That are that are profitable and that improve the, their customer experiences, and we also have um, a kind of insurance broker arm that help those marketplaces source insurance uh, at the best possible uh, commercial deals for them by by leveraging their data and by leveraging uh, our platform. That's great, and I, I was really intrigued and very excited to see that your background leading up um, to to your time. Uh, co-founding and uh, working with Tint was um, with Turo, who are very um, well-known vehicle sharing platform. So your your background really is around the vehicle sharing space. And, and anyone who knows me and has heard me um, talk around the, the marketing side of, of platforms will know that I often use vehicle sharing as, as an example because it's I find it um, really interesting. So you, you've come via that path, haven't you? Yes. Uh, so both my co-founder, Jerome, and I were early employees at Turo. We joined back in uh, early 2014 when the company was uh, 10 or, or 15 people at the time. And we stay all the way to 2017 uh, when uh, the company already had hundreds of employees and 
so we really went through the, the full scaling uh, period uh, in, in the vehicle vehicle sharing space particularly. And that's where we had the inspiration of, uh, of launch tent because we saw both the great opportunity that Turo had um, to work on the kind of risk and insurance space, but we also saw how hard it was for the company to, to deal with that is not an insurer to do everything on their side. So really kind of inspire us to found tent and then uh, help other companies in this space as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've come across very early stage vehicle sharing startups here in the UK and, and the, one of the biggest barriers for them has been the insurance side of it. But I, I find vehicle sharing fascinating because it covers quite a lot of different uses um, because obviously with peer-to-peer car sharing, people are, are sharing vehicles for for transport, for essential transport a lot of the time um, instead of owning a car. But then when you're sort of thinking in terms of RV, as you call it, sort of camper vans, that type of vehicle sharing, it becomes much more about travel and experience, doesn't it? And then I, I suppose the sort of third arm to this, one which I often debate about, is the inventory style of shared mobility, which is one that people are often familiar with, which I often wonder is really part of the sharing economy. It's the, the whole e-scooter, the whole burden line. So what, how do you see that that landscape? And, and, and in a way, do you have a, a preferred end of it? How does it look to you? Um, yeah, so it's very interesting you mentioned because Turo has, and I think from, from where we started our journey, Turo has, uh, both sides uh, that has the, the travel use case and has also the let's call it the city mobility um, use case um, and and I think it is the same as a, as a car rental uh, company like you can both get a car at the airport and drive around or but sometimes you are trying to just get a car for for a day and you you see like the, the, the space started with zip car doing only city focused uh, mobility and then expand to this travel use case and then and the last piece you, you mentioned was bird and others doing uh there is like it's not peer to peer but it's still helping with the last mile transportation i personally find uh this fascinating because what that means what those three different uh use cases mean is that today you can cover most of your transportation needs if not all of them with different um with different sharing economy uh platforms mm-hmm. or different mobility uh, platforms and this really changes how you should think about car ownership mm-hmm. so you're almost seeing it as kind of a, a kind of route in a sense where people can can cover off each stage of that route with a peer-to-peer transaction whereas I suppose I've always seen it as kind of different areas which is interesting and I actually prefer your way of looking at it because you could I suppose fill in that that final gap um, of your journey with that e-scooter and then have have achieved the whole thing um so it's it, these aren't really alternatives to each other are they they're just different they have different positions in in the shared mobility space yeah i believe they are a continuum of a, a mobility necessary like of the, your, your customer or your user journey uh, when you when you think about uh, mobility because suppose you, I, I lived in london for for two and a half years and obviously it doesn't make sense you have a car in london but i still wanted to go uh, to different places to to bath to cambridge uh, and some of them you take the train but sometimes you want to drive and then because you you are stopping in different places so in that case you had uh, a, a longer or travel use case but sometimes i want to go to ikea and then just bring 
move some furniture and zip car and the city transportation was there. Like London didn't have the scooter at the time, but when I was in Paris visiting my co-founder, we took a scooter when like a half hour, a 30 minute ride in Paris uh, from one place to the other by, by the Seine River. So it's also a great experience. So the, I think the big picture here is like yeah, users today in big cities don't no longer need to buy cars. They can use this combination and have all, and I think we didn't even mention, like say, the, or you may quickly mention the RV use case. If you want to now travel in a completely off the grid, you can just rent an RV uh, from outdoorsy uh, and then do the same. Um, so it's really fascinating mm-hmm. to see how far we've come mm-hmm. in, in serving user needs. And would you say in your experience, someone that was maybe predisposed to use one of these elements of the peer-to-peer vehicle sharing model, they would be likely to use the other? Because I've seen some interesting sort of user um you know, avatars, sort of customer profiles around, say, for example, RV sharing. So uh, the type of person who might do that. But I wouldn't have said necessarily that would translate into somebody maybe living in a city who would not want ownership of a car and would want to just tap in to one of the the, the car sharing networks, the sort of drivey, these types of mm-hmm. thing. Um, would you say there was a, a crossover between the type of people that would use all these or are they sort of distinct groups? Uh, so in our experience, uh, by, by uh, what we see at Tura, by what we see uh, with our clients at, at Tint, the overlap is still smaller than you would think. Mm-hmm. So today we are still in a kind of a bit of distinct user groups. And, and back in the beginning of the sharing economy, there was this thesis that you could create a sharing economy passport because the same person would use all the services. Mm. And that has not been mm. true yet. But I believe that's the trend we're going. I guess uh, all those platforms mature and they get scale. Like naturally, the amount of overlap will increase. And if you don't have a car, then you basically don't have a choice but to use those different services um, for for your different um, needs. Yeah, I think that you're absolutely right. And I think sometimes that that and I I know that some people initially did think that it would be, you know, that someone who is has shared something is therefore predisposed to sharing but I think that that you know it's slightly naive I do think it might eventually go that way but I think at the moment sharing is or uh, you know being part of the of a peer-to-peer transaction is about that immediate specific need and it could be that they do have an immediate need to borrow a car within in the city for their city transportation but that doesn't mean to say that they want to do any of the other things because they're not entering into that just to be part of the sharing economy they're entering into that because it's convenient for them Um, and I think it's about people's motivations and actually what problem you're solving you said something interesting uh to me before our conversation today about um the the risk that's involved in this because i was always thinking in terms of the these you know these types of um transaction that the rv sharing at the peer-to-peer car etc there would always be about the the person that was involved you know it's always the typical person when we talk about vehicles there's always that sort of you everyone has a picture in their head don't they he's sort of about 21 and he's um (laughs) he's a young guy and he's a bit reckless um but it's it's not the case is it that it's um it's just about the the actual person what what other risks how do you sort of how do you paint that picture of risk around one of these transactions? What other things come into play? 
Um, so every marketplace or every company that that's sharing assets or there's some assets or services involved uh, has risk, right? And one of the, the main parts of the, or the main challenges of the sharing economy is to how to balance the risk and growth um, so they get to a combination that, that works for them. Obviously, if they don't want to have any risk, they don't have a business. Like you know, I always say that a marketplace with no risk has no customers, so that won't work. <laughs> but if you go too far on the other side, and you uh, let too much risk in, what you get is like a collection of very bad experiences that will probably jeopardize your growth and, and, and your in your brand. So I think the, the challenge here is to find this, this combination. And when we think about risk, uh, you're right, like most people tend to think about uh, the risk of a person. So you, you have the example of the 21-year-old driver. So a 21-year-old driver is on average riskier than a 45-year-old average. And this had, like, has statistics, the insurance industry has known that for, for a long time. But that doesn't mean that, this, that we should only look at a person. I think we believe that you should look at basically three components. So the person are obviously important, but you should also look at what is the asset that the person is using for the specific transaction. And also, what is the context of the transaction? So going back to the 21-year-old example, if this uh, person is driving a Porsche 911 worth $100,000 in Boston in January while it's snowing outside, that's a very different risk than if the same person is driving a 2010 Honda Civic that is <laughs> worth uh, $5,000 in California when there's no traffic. So you really need to look holistically on this risk before you can uh, have a good picture of it. So you uh, plug this picture or this risk segmentation into your uh, risk management strategy. Make sure that on average, you are looking it in, in the right way. So, I mean, we're talking about vehicles, obviously, a lot because, um, you know, the, because of the, the Turo background. But and I was thinking, you know, how do the risks um, for for vehicle sharing differ from other types of asset sharing other types of sharing economy Mm -hmm. because I suppose the fact that that asset is moving around everywhere does that add a real layer of complexity because I suppose things like other assets you know like a home um you know stays Mm -hmm. put I mean I know we we get sort of you know the stuff sharing the kind of tools camera equipment camping equipment but um, I always think of you know a car surely it could kind of go anywhere and um you know that that potential there is that much greater than other types of asset sharing yeah i guess the car because they are mobile uh, there's definitely one additional um layer layer of risk uh right because there are two things that may happen here they may get stolen uh, and i think that applies to cameras that applies to i think not only cars but really rvs motorcycles uh it, it, really anything that that is, that is mobile it can can disappear or somebody can run away with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also I think cars have another part of the this equation, which is like they may hurt others, right? Like you may run into somebody and, mm-hmm. and, and then cause a big issue. So I think because of those layers of complexity, I, I believe that vehicles are more, uh, will be more risky. But uh, this is not to say that, that uh, the, say, uh, homes or categories that don't move don't have any risk. Like, and we can see like they're over and over in, on the media, like horror stories really in, uh, involving Airbnb um, 
houses that get trashed with parties and, and things. And those houses, like when, when that happens, there's a cost of like $50,000 plus to Airbnb to kind of redo the apartment or, or the house and everything. So if you think just in a pure financial loss is worse than what an, an average accident of car uh, would be. Obviously it should happen less frequently, but there's also a lot of risk. And I think same for say TaskRabbit, uh, um, TaskRabbit will have, like it, it doesn't have an asset per se, but like the, the tasker is most of the time in somebody's home. So they can cause any damages related to, to their servicing, uh, like breaking something. But the, depending on how the trust and safety goes, there are also some kind of personal risks or some other things that can happen there. So at the end of the day, like every marketplace really needs to get the risk management uh, under control and use it as a growth uh, and a growth engine uh, instead of being a detractor to the brand. Mm-hmm. We talk quite a lot in this world, in the world of sharing apps and platforms and gig economy, these types of things about on demand. And obviously, for, from my point of view, um, in you know, in terms of sort of platform strategy and marketing, etc., you know, that means that you know people can get their their service or their asset immediately. Um, but in terms of insurance, how does how does that connect? How is it possible to provide that on demand insurance when you know, I'm from a generation where, you know, your insurance policy is up for renewal and it's an annual thing. I mean, how does how does that all fit in? How do you match insurance and make it on demand to match the, the actual on demand platform transaction? Yeah, the way it typically works is that the marketplace gets, let's call it uh, like almost an umbrella insurance, a commercial insurance policy that protects the uh, marketplace, the renters and the owners every time a transaction happens. And then uh, for each transaction, let's say for the, let's talk, talk about vehicle sharing. Suppose you're renting an uh, RV for three days. So what happens is that for those three days, while you are using this RV, while you are registered on the website, uh, you are covered with that insurance policy. So really the, the market figured out this very uh, elegant way that like you can basically break the insurance cover down to the small pieces of the transaction. So uh, that, that's kind of the insurance legal part. And on the product side, uh, the idea is that the marketplace offers that, that insurance to the, the users while they are uh, in, the, in the checkout flow or in, in the search flow. So it becomes a very, very kind of seamless and amazing insurance experience that, that is one of the reasons why marketplaces have this, this amazing opportunity to monetize uh, their data with insurance is that, that when they offer this insurance right on the booking, they not only, um, it's not only easy, easy for the owner, but re- uh, and for, sorry, for, for the renter, but really improves the customer experience because that person needs that insurance policy, both uh, either from legal reasons or, or for, uh, for convenience or for like trying to, to reduce some of the risk of the transaction. But uh, the marketplace can offer that right there on the product. And that's something we help with change. Like we have a, uh, an underwriting engine they let the marketplaces like offer this right at the, the checkout, which is very easy for them. It's all API based, and then all they have to do is plug and play and delight their users. Mm-hmm. And 
when you um, you did this great session for the for the master's program, um, it was called A Holistic View of the Risk, The Secret to a World-Class Performance, which uh, I was listening to, which was great. And one of the things you covered in that was uh, the idea of a, a risk score, which sounded almost mm-hmm. like one of these, um, you know, a, a, one of these sort of futuristic films. I don't know if you've ever seen Black Mirror, where you have a kind of like rating mm-hmm. attached to you, that kind of thing. Um, but I thought, you know, it, it made total sense because obviously that score is based on quite a lot of factors. But what interested me was obviously with it when you're looking at a two-sided platform, is there a, a risk score for both the, the provider and the user or it, how does that actually work? And also how would that risk score vary between, um, say, like a, a sort of holiday experience RV rental platform where you're not going to mm-hmm. be doing it very frequently and uh, ha- and obviously like a, a peer-to-peer car sharing platform and it might be a much more sort of frequent but but shorter uses. How, how does that score work? Yeah, so he, I agree that it does look um, <laughs> very futuristic, but when you uh, understand it, it's quite simple and boring. Basically, what happens <laughs> sure there is like we uh, look at the, the past transactions that a marketplace had, uh, including all like many different factors on that transaction. Who was the, the the renter? Who was the owner? What was the asset? Like a lot of like literally hundreds of uh, different variables. And then we also know which transactions happened to be a claim. Uh, there was some sort of accident or some sort of like a um, uh, complaint uh, about the transaction the car was dirty or the car was in an accident. We look at a variety of different risks that may have happened in the transaction. And we feed all of this into a machine learning model that catch patterns. And then they figure it out based on the patterns of like the over like hundreds of thousands of transactions. And they say, okay, this is what a risky transaction look like. And that's basically what the risk score does is just kind of separate transactions into in a, in a risk spectrum, so it's uh, it's customized by by each of uh, which are of our clients. So we make sure that we're not only looking at generic things like well, cars on average do that. Is really looking at what that specific uh, laws or or claims or experience for for this customer, and that's why it's very effective because when we look at the data, when the model look at the data, you can really catch like the different degrees of risk. And it doesn't mean that the marketplace has to stop or any of these transactions or have any necessarily negative uh, action. What they can do is they can address different levels of risk with, with different pricing for insurance, with different uh, sorts of like uh, friction. Let's say if it's too risky, they can charge a higher security deposit. So we've seen our clients do use very creative ways to address this, this high risk and try to like mitigate this high risk while uh, keeping a great uh, user experience. I'm going to go back to e-scooters because you can probably tell I'm a bit obsessed. I think it's because mm-hmm. they, because um, I'm, I'm still not 100% sure where they fit into the general sharing economy um, space, but also they, they haven't really taken off where I live. So I, I am quite intrigued by them. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously we've got these big platforms, really um, really high growth platforms like Bird and Lime, but they're not peer-to-peer. So I suppose in terms of the risk there, the, the actual inventory, uh, it belongs to the, the company, doesn't it? So mm-hmm. in terms of, of risk there, the, it, it's not the same as a peer-to-peer platform, is it? Because you're not sort of listing your 
uh, item. So you, you're, it, it, I suppose they can absorb quite a lot of things like damage, etc. How does that vary from a peer to peer when you have the, the inventory style model when it comes to, to risk management? Um, I believe that they, 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 while they don't have the owner side of, of things, which is, which is one additional layer, uh, they still have the, like a very similar risk exposure because in their perspective, like the, there's always the, the renter, there's the location, uh, is this a first time user or how many times has this person used, um, and is it an area that has kind of more vandalism, less vandalism? So there are still many factors they have to figure it out. Uh, so they can, um, like segment what, what is a risky transaction versus a known risk transaction. And they has, have direct impact in their customer experience in their uh, financials as well. And as in, in a way, it's like Zipcar, right? Like if you think about Zipcar or the original car sharing uh, players, they all own cars. They like, uh, uh, they, they, and it, but, it, but it's the same. They're still exposed to the drivers, how the drivers are going to use their car when they are in a park. Do they return on time? Uh, or do they have any other bad behaviors? So uh, the way we look at, at, at the burden audits is a slightly simpler version of, uh, say, Zipcar uh, or others that they own their cars. But there's this huge, a big deal of risk that they have to um, think about. I don't know if you follow, but like those scooters have a awfully high amount of accidents, especially first-time users. Mm. So they do need to have some sort of a, a risk management in place. Now they're, I mean, maybe now, now the situation has changed. They were still in the kind of growth first or growth only phase, right? There's some sharing economy marketplaces uh, can do fuel by a lot of uh, VC um, money. Mm -hmm. But as soon as they switch to having to worry about profitability as well, they were going to have to be much more careful on the risk management side than they, they, they were before. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, vehicles can cause damage to, you know, can injure other people. Um, mm -hmm. And and I know there's been um, examples of that. And and also, I suppose, you know, not every city is, is actually even sort of set up to, to for them to operate safely. You know, you, have, you decide whether they go on the road or the pavement or things like that as well. So there's like other factors coming into play, which wouldn't necessarily wouldn't affect a car because it's obvious that a car would go on the road, wouldn't it? <laughs> Um, yeah, you talked yeah. about balancing growth and risk, which I think is is fascinating, um, because quite often that might not be something that a marketplace startup founder would would even think about. But can you give any examples where a platform has has either got that balance very right or got it very wrong? Um, just to sort of illustrate that. Um, because I, I suppose it's it's something that that's quite intriguing when when you actually consider that this is essential to become profitable, isn't it? Yes, uh, it, it is. It is essential. So in terms of getting it wrong, I don't remember the name of the brand, but there was a uh, PHP car sharing company that was started in LA a few years ago, and they wanted to do PHP car sharing of very luxury cars. And they, they closed out a few months after lunch because of a few cases of theft that they just couldn't afford. So those were cars on the six, digit, six digits cost and that they had a few of those got stolen and obviously they went out of business. So I think this is a good example of mm -hmm. showing how things can go wrong, especially when you are dealing with 
high value um, assets. And um, I think in one of the, the companies that I think are doing very right is uh, Aldorzi. Uh, so this is the RV sharing marketplace. Mm -hmm. They are one of our clients. And uh, the way I like, the way I see Aldorzi is that they really think about risk as a way to improve customer experience. So they're looking not only at managing those in this financial trade-off, but more broadly, how can we uh, improve our, our clients' journey and our experience with risk? So if you look at what they do, they offer uh, many different options of insurance uh, for, uh, on their website. So people are protected in, and they and it can match their risk profile from a very kind of the low risk, uh, more more expensive option all the way to options that are cheaper, but then uh, the, the the user gets more risk. They start to look at things like tri uh, trip cancellation, uh, so they can cover you. If say you have this RV trip uh, booked, and then for some reason start raining, uh, uh, the, the weather forecast change, and then you don't want to do it. So if you you can buy insurance to protect against that. So I I, I think it, it, uh, insurance can really become um, a great part of the experience and turn this kind of in, like negative feeling about risk or things that can go wrong into, well, you're actually thinking about my experience broadly and you are giving me the options and the tools to, to make it even better. Mm -hmm. And I think it, uh, outdoors it does that very well. Mm -hmm. And turning it into a positive. I mean, when we talk about the sharing economy, it's, it's the trust issue that always comes up first. And if, if we can, you know, sort of look that in the face rather than sort of hiding in the terms and conditions, you know, and actually deal with it in a positive way, then, 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 you know, that's surely the way that a platform can, um, can grow. Thank you so much, Mattis. That's been, um, absolutely fascinating. And an, a half an hour has passed. So, um, and very quickly too. So thank you so much for, uh, joining us on the platform podcast. It's been, been a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Bye. Thank you for tuning into the Master's Program Platform Podcast. Check out the Master's Program on the Marketplace Risk website at marketplacerisk.com, where you will find 12 tracks of content featuring over 80 speakers in more than 65 sessions. You can also download the mobile app to connect with participants, speakers, and sponsors from around the world. Be sure to follow us on social media at Marketplace Risk. Tune in next week for another podcast.